This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. We're continuing in our studies in the book of Job today, and we're in Job chapter 32 to start with. Job 32 introduces us to another of Job's friends who apparently was there the whole time, and his name is Elihu. He had listened to every accusation that was made by Job's three friends, and he had heard the answers that Job had given, and he has formed his own opinion on the matter. Now, nothing much is known about Elihu, but he makes some good points in the things that he's going to be saying. We'll also notice that later, God does not condemn the words of Elihu as he did condemn Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. In Job 42, 7, we find this stated, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. So Eliphaz is not condemned, excuse me, Elihu is not condemned as was Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Well, getting into chapter 32, Elihu's reason for speaking he gives in verses 1 through 5. Now we'll notice in Job 32 verse 1 that Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, saw no use to attempt to answer Job anymore. 30, chapter 32, verse 1. <clears throat> so these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. So nothing they had said convinced Job that he was the great sinner they made him out to be. They felt that Job would not budge from his position of being righteous in his own eyes, and they had nothing new to say, as Job seemed obstinately bent on maintaining this opinion of himself. Now, Elihu enters the picture as a young man inflamed in anger and ready to speak. That's Job 32, verse 2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled, because he justified himself rather than God. Now, it states that Elihu was a Buzite, or a Buzite, however you want to pronounce that word. You go to Genesis 22. And look at verses 20 and 21. Genesis 22, verses 20 and 21. There it says, It came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she hath also borne children unto thy brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, and Buzz his brother, 
and Kemuel, the father of Aram. So we see that being a Buzzite, Elihu there was a descendant there of the kindred of Abraham. Well, Elihu says that he was angry with Job because Job justified himself rather than God. You see, Elihu does not like the way that Job is getting close to charging God with injustice. Uh, Dave Miller in class notes made this comment, and I quote, He is helping Job go to the next level. When discouraging times come, don't wallow in it. Get focused on God, not yourself, unquote. Well, Elihu is angry also with Job's three friends. And the reason is because they made a lot of accusations against Job and didn't prove any of them. Job 32, verse 3. It says, also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Job's friends had condemned him and had no good answers to Job's arguments, and they had no proof of the accusations that they had made. Albert Barnes made this comment, and I quote, They were in that state of mind, not uncommon, in which they obstinately held to an opinion which they could not vindicate and believed another to be guilty, though they could not prove it, unquote. So Elihu, he says there in verses 4 and 5, he waited until the older men had spoken before he decided to speak up. Job 32, 4 and 5. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he, when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. <clears throat> so Elihu waited until all those who were older than he had finished with their speeches, and he was probably under the assumption that wisdom comes with age, which is not always the case. So again, these three friends of Job had made no valid points against Job. And we see here that his Elihu's wrath was kindled there in verse 5. Now Elihu, first of all, he apologizes for speaking. And that's chapter 32, verses 6 to 22. Well, first of all, in verse 6, Elihu did not want to interfere while the aged men were speaking. Job 32, verse 6. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young, and ye are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. So he was timid to speak until after Job and his three friends had finished their speeches. He had listened and formed, and formed his opinion during all the arguments that were made, but now he's ready to give his opinion. In verse 7, Elihu thought that the aged men here were wise and would reason out why Job was suffering so much. Job 32, verse 7. I said, 
days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Well, he learned that not all old people are wise. And Elihu concludes, there is wisdom from above that is far superior to the wisdom of seniority in Job 32 verse 8. He says, but there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. So God created us, and he put his, uh, a spirit in us, put our spirit in us. And he talks about there the inspiration of the Almighty. The word inspiration from the Hebrew word meshama, Strong's defines this way, a puff that is wind, angry or vital breath, divine inspiration, intellect, or concretely an animal. So the inspiration there of the Almighty refers to the wisdom from above that gives us understanding. Now in Job 32 verse 9, Elihu rebukes Job's three friends. Verse 9. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. So he's saying, just because you're old, it apparently does not mean you're wise and understand the judgments of God. So Elihu wants them to hear his opinion on the matter there in Job 32.10. Therefore, I said, hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. In other words, Elihu is saying, I will tell you what I think. Elihu shows the doubt as to the value of the three friends' speeches that they are just their opinions, and he will give them his opinion. Well, Elihu said he paid attention to what they were saying and trying to figure out all along here what to say himself. Verse 11. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons whilst ye searched out what to say. So Elihu, Elihu is using sarcasm against the three friends. So he said, you know, you th I heard the things you were saying, and then you were trying to figure out what to say, and whenever Job would give his answers. Well, Elihu says he listened to their arguments, and none of them convinced Job of what they were saying. Verse 12, yea, I tended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job, or that answered his words. Well, they spoke a lot of words, but none of their words could overthrow the arguments that Job brought forth, and they were completely silenced. Then Elihu says they had not discovered why Job was suffering and had not proven Job to be the wicked man that they say he is to cause his suffering there in Job 32, 13. Lest you should say, we have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. 
Well, that is a summary of what the three friends were saying, though through our knowledge, we know that uh, even though the friends are saying, through our wisdom, we know that God is punishing him. They were saying that, but they had not proven that. Elihu then says in verse 14 that he will answer Job, but not with their arguments. Verse 14. Now, he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. Adam Clark said concerning this verse, and I quote, I am no party in this controversy. I have no party feeling in it. He has not spoken a word against me, therefore I have no cause of irritation. I shall speak for truth, not for conquest or revenge. Neither will I answer him with your speeches. Your passions have been inflamed by contradiction, and you have spoken foolishly with your lips." Unquote. Well, Elihu now speaks to Job about Job's three friends. They're in chapter 32, verse 15. <clears throat> they were amazed. They answered no more. They left off speaking. In other words, they have been broken and silenced by the things that Job has said. Now, the word amazed there from the Hebrew word kahath means this, according to Strong's. A primary root properly to prostrate, hence to break down, either literally by violence or figuratively by confusion and fear. Albert Barnes made this quote statement concerning this uh, verse, and I quote, It is not merely that they ceased to speak, but that they put words at a great distance from them. They could say absolutely nothing, unquote. Well, Elihu says he waited for them to reply to Job, and when they did not, then he stepped forward, Job 32:16. But when I had waited, for they spake not, but I stood still and answered no more. So Job's three friends had, were speechless. They had absolutely nothing they could say. So Elihu says that he has some things that he needs to say. Well, Elihu says he will now take his turn in answering Job in Job 32:17. I said, I will answer also my part. I will also show mine opinion. So he's basically saying nothing has been resolved so far. So I will put out my two bits in it. I'm going to put my two bits into what's being said. Well, Elihu says he is full of words and ready to speak now. That's Job 32:18. For I am full of matter. The word matter there, the American Standard Version says words, translates it that way. The spirit within me constraineth me. The word matter there from the Hebrew word milah 
Strong says means a word, collectively a discourse, figuratively a topic. So Elihu is ready to burst forth with his opinion. Now, some say that the phrase, the spirit within me, refers to the Holy Spirit, but it seems to make more sense that this refers to his spirit wanting to speak, and it was distressing him to speak. The word constraineth there, the spirit within me constraineth me, from the Hebrew word tua, strong says means to compress, that is figuratively oppress, distress. So his, figure, his spirit was distressing him to speak at this point. So Elihu gives an example of how he is feeling about setting forth his opinion. Job 32:19. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. To help understand this, there's a little booklet called The Bible, The Saint, and The Liquor Industry. It was written by a man named Jim McGuigan. And on page 86, he makes this comment, quote, Sweet wine, if not carefully handled, can ferment. Even if it is put in new wineskin, it must be carefully bottled or it will ferment and burst the bottle. Job 32.19 indicates that Elihu is just bursting to speak, and unless permitted to do so, he will bust, unquote. So Elihu is about to bust here to speak, and he's ready to speak, and he wants to speak. So he is going to here. Elihu says he will give his opinion so he can be relieved of the stress that he is under. That's Job 32:20. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Adam Clark said concerning this verse, and I quote, in the preceding verse, Elihu compares himself to a skin bottle in which the wine was in a state of fermentation and the bottle ready to burst for want of vent. He carries on the metaphor in this verse. The bottle must be open to save it from bursting. I will open my mouth, unquote. So he's been bursting to speak, and now he gets to speak. In Job 32:21, Elihu says he will not speak with partiality or flattery. Job 32:21. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. Neither let me give flattering titles unto men. Elihu is going to speak his opinion without fear or favor. Elihu will not be influenced by age, wealth, or friendship. He is going to be impartial. Now he says he will not speak flattering or give flattering titles unto men. 
Flattering titles here comes from the Hebrew word kana. Strong's says the word means this, to address by an additional name, hence to eulogize. Wilson's Old Testament word studies gives this definition, to give titles of honor either to those in real dignity or by way of compliment and flattery. Now I want to look at some examples of flattering titles that men accept that are found in the Bible. First of all, go to Psalm 111, verse 9. Psalm 111, verse 9. It says there of God, he sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. There are so many so-called religious men today that want to be called by the name reverend when the scriptures plainly state that holy and reverend is God's name, not man's name. Any man that wants to call himself reverend is actually calling himself God, and that is an abomination. Let's look at another <clears throat> flattering name. Over in Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, and we want to look there in verse 9. It says, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Uh, the Catholic Church is especially guilty of this, calling their so-called priest father. And yet here, Jesus plainly said, call no man father on the earth. And that's in a spiritual sense, not in a physical sense. Because God is your father. And in even verse 8, and be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ and all your brethren. So don't be calling anyone rabbi or master. Uh, you might recall that the, oh, can't even think of who they're called now, the Masons call their leader there in their, whatever they call it, worshipful master. So there's an abomination as well. So there are many flattering titles that men want to accept. A pastor would be one of those flattering titles today. You know, a pastor is not a single individual who is ruling over a congregation or a preacher. A pastor is an elder, one of the elders of a congregation in the Lord's church not some preacher. And flattery is condemned. Job 17.5 shows that. Job 17.5, Job speaking says, 
He that speaketh flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children shall fail. And then going to the book of Psalms, look at Psalm 5, verse 9. Psalm 5, verse 9. It says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth, their inward part is very wickedness, their throat is an open sepulcher, they flatter with their tongue. That's the unrighteous flattery there. And then look at Psalm 12, 2 and 3. Psalm 12, 2 and 3. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. And then Psalm 78 Verse 36, Psalm 78, verse 36. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. That's speaking about God there. They're doing that to him. In Proverbs chapter 20, look at verse 19. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 19. It says, He that goeth about as a tale-bearer revealeth secrets, therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. And then one last passage on this, Proverbs 26, 28. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. <clears throat> so Elihu here says he will not use flattering terms because God will judge him by his words. Job 32:22. For I know not to give flattering titles. In doing so, my maker would soon take me away. So Elihu has a responsibility to God who will hold him accountable if he uses flattering titles. In Matthew chapter 12, <clears throat> look at verses 36 and 37. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. <clears throat> it says, Jesus speaking, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words shalt thou be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So Elihu <clears throat> was a young man that listened to everything that Job and his three friends had said in their arguing back and forth. He was filled with wrath at Job and his three friends for different reasons. He said that Job justified himself instead of God, <clears throat> and the three friends made severe accusations against Job and never proved any of it. Elihu is now ready to give his opinion as to why these things are happening to Job. 
as Dave Miller pointed out in class notes, quote, he is getting geared up, unquote. So let's go to chapter 33 and begin there with Elihu, what he is saying. He begins his speech there to the three friends in Job in chapter 32. In that chapter, he mainly addressed Job's three friends. In chapter 33, Elihu is going to turn his main focus to Job. Elihu's opening statement is found in chapter 33, verses 1 through 7. In verse 1, Elihu asked Job to listen carefully to what he has to say. Job 33, 1. Therefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. He asked Job to hear the Hebrew word shama, which means the Strong's, these are all Strong's definitions I'm going to give you, to hear intelligently. Job, listen intelligently to what I have to say. My speeches, Hebrew word melah, defined as a word, collectively a discourse, figuratively a topic. So Job, listen to my discourse and hearken. The Hebrew word azan, which means probably to expand, but usually is only a denominative form. Uh, also, to broaden out the ear with the hand, that is by implication to listen. You now you put your hand behind your ear and you listen carefully to what he has to say. And Elihu says he is only going to speak what is worthy to be heard. There in verse 2 of chapter 33. Behold, now I have opened my mouth. My tongue has spoken in my mouth. Albert Barnes here says this, and I quote, The meaning is that since he has venture, or had ventured to speak and it actually commenced, he would utter only that which was worthy to be heard. <clears throat> this is properly the commencement of his argument. For all that he had before said was merely an introduction, unquote. In verse 33, Elihu says he will speak sincerely. Chapter 33, verse 3, that is. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. The American Standard Version says shall speak sincerely. Elihu wants to get to the truth as to why these things are happening to Job. Elihu wants to state things just as they are and not make wild accusations as Job's other three friends had done. Well, in verse 4, Elihu recognizes that he is only a man and is a created being, Job 33, 4. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. So Elihu is saying that he's like Job. He's just a man. They were both, both formed in the same way. And Elihu is trying to ease Job's mind in that he will not attack Job as the others had done. In verse 5, Elihu encourages Job to listen what he had, to what he has to say and then answer him in a way that is right. Job 33, 5. If thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me, stand up. 
Albert Barnes says, and I quote, the meaning of the verse is this, the controversy between you and me, if you shall choose to reply, shall be conducted in the most equitable manner and on the most equal terms. I will not attempt, as your three friends have done, to overwhelm you with reproaches, nor will I attempt to overawe you as God would do, so that you cannot reply. I am a man like yourself, and desire that if anything can be said against what I have to advance, it should be offered with the utmost fairness and freedom." Unquote. Elihu then states that he is a man formed from clay, just like Job, verse 6. Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I also am formed out of the clay. I want to look at a couple of other translations of this verse before we make any further comments. The first is the literal translation. It says this, Behold, I am toward, ye, uh, toward God as you. I also was formed from the clay. And then the American Standard Version puts it this way, Behold, I am toward God even as thou art. I also am formed out of the clay. So Elihu here is still affirming that he is just a man like Job. And he's still reassuring Job that Job will be treated fairly by the things that he has to say. In verse 7, Elihu says he will not terrorize Job with words and accusations as his three friends had done. Job 33, 7. Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. So a lie may be referring to what Job had earlier stated about God making him afraid. Now this goes back to Job 13, verse 21. Job 13, 21, Job speaking to God, says, Withdraw thy hand far from me, and let not thy dread make me afraid. Now, in verses 8 through 12 here in Job 33, Elihu is going to recount some of the things that Job has said. First, Elihu says he's been listening to what Job has said there in chapter 33, verse 8. Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words, saying. So Elihu is now going to give simple quotations from Job's own words. In verse 9, Elihu mentions some of what he heard Job say. I am clean without transgression, I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Well, Wayne Jackson on page 7 of his book, The Book of Job, makes this comment, and I quote, Elihu is a little unfair to Job, who in chapter 7, verse 21, and chapter 13, verse 26, has good a gone, a gone a good long way toward admitting sinfulness, unquote. Well, let's look at Job 7.21 and see what Job says there. 
Job chapter 7, verse 21. It says, And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For now I shall sleep in the dust, and thou shalt not see me in the morning, or thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. And then Job 13, 26 uh, Job says here to God, For thou writest bitter things against me, and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. So Job is admitting sinfulness in his life, but let's also look at some other things that Job said. In Job 10.7, Job says, Thou knowest that I am not wicked, and there is none that can deliver out of thine hand. And then Job 13.23 how many are mine iniquities and sins make me to know my transgression and my sin? And then Job 16, 17 says, Not for any injustice in mine hands, also my prayer is pure. So Elihu here is probably referring to those things like that that Job has said. And then Job speaks of what uh, excuse me, Elihu speaks of what Job had said about God. Chapter 33, verse 10 first. Behold, he findeth occasions against me. He counteth me for his enemy. Well, Job did say those things. Going back to Job 13, now look at verse 24. Wherefore hidest thou thy face and holdest me for thine enemy? And then Job 19, verse 11. Job 19, 11. He hath also kindled his wrath against me and counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. So Elihu has said this, that Job said this, and Job did. Now in verse 11 of Job 33, Elihu refers to something else Job said about God. Job 33:11 He putteth my feet in the stocks he marketh all my paths Well in Job 13:27 Job said that Job 13:27 Thou puttest my feet also in the stocks and lookest narrowly unto all my paths thou settest a print upon the heels of my feet so these are things that Job had said. Elihu points out that Job has not proven these charges against God. Elihu says Job is not right in saying this about God in Job 33, verses 12 and 13. He says, Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. So again, Job, you haven't proven all these things. And at Job, it seems like you're calling God's goodness and wisdom into question. Uh, Glenn Ramsey, in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship book, made this comment, and I quote, Elihu speaks an important truth. That truth is that in God's sovereignty, he does not have to justify or respond to every request of man. 
the fact that man does not understand what has happened to him does not mean that God has caused the situation or that God is unjust even if he did cause it, unquote. You know, God does not have to give us an account of his actions. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We, God doesn't have to answer us. And then Elihu tells some of the ways that God spoke to man and why. And that's in Job, 14, or Job 33, verses 14 to 22. First of all, in verse 14, Elihu says that God will not come to answer for his conduct. But God does speak to mankind in different ways so that mankind can know what God demands. Job 33:14. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. And then Elihu gives an example of how God once communicated with mankind, Job 33:15. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men in slumberings upon the bed. Well, let's look at some of these examples. First of all, in a dream, go to Genesis 41, verse 15. Genesis 41, 15. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I, or, and I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And then verse 25 of the same chapter. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. So there's an example of that. A vision in the night. An example of that is Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great strength. And other examples are found in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God speaks to us today through his word. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry or various times and in divers or various manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And then also look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Paul there says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, man for neither received neither for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So God spoke to the fathers through dreams and prophets and the visions of the night. Today he speaks to us through his word. Now, Elihu says God gave the dream and the vision and that those help men to understand and then helps men to understand the dream and the vision. Job 33:16. Then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction. It's just like Joseph told Pharaoh what his dream meant. Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar there in the book of Daniel what his dream meant, Daniel chapter 2. And also he mentions there the seal, verse 16 of Job 33, he sealeth their instruction. A seal was used to ratify a contract or communicate privately to an individual as in a private letter. So God explained the things one way or another. Well, the purpose, Elihu says, of God's communication to mankind is to warn against the destruction that comes from sin. Job 33:17 that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. God warns us of the consequences of executing our plan of sin and pride. We're warned against those things. Then Elihu says that God's communication with mankind is to keep us from rushing headlong to our own destruction. Job 33:18 He that being God keepeth back his that being man's soul from the pit and his life by perishing by the sword Albert Barnes said concerning the verse and I quote The meaning is that God by these warnings would keep a man from such a course of life as would lead to death by violence either by punishment for his crime or by being cut off in war, unquote. In verse 19, Elihu says that God also speaks through correction by pain and that through God's providence. Job 33:19. He, that being God, is chastened, all, excuse me, he, that being man, is chastened also with pain upon his bed, and the multitude of his bones with strong pain. Albert Barnes says this about the verse, and I quote, As another means of checking and restraining him from the commission of sin, when the warnings of the night fail, and when he has been on a life of sin, then God lays him on a bed of pain, and he is brought to reflection there. There he has an opportunity to think of his life and of all the consequences which must follow from a career of iniquity, unquote. So Elihu is saying that at times suffering brings good because it causes us to take an inventory of our lives. Well, in verses 19 to 22, actually Elihu is stating things that are happening to Job. In verse 20, Elihu states that one suffering has no desire for the comforts of life, Job 33:20, so that his life abhorreth bread and his soul dainty meat. So Job has a loss of appetite, 
Elihu also says the one being chastised by God wastes away, verse 21. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. Well, Job has these things happening to him. He's lost weight from his disease. Albert Barnes says this again, and I quote, One design is to humble us, to take away the pride which delighteth in the round and polished limb, the rose on the cheek, the ruby lip, and the smooth forehead, and to show us that we shall soon be in the grave, unquote. And then Elihu says in verse 22, this chastisement brings a person close to the grave. Chapter 33, verse 22. <laughs> yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave and his life to the destroyers. The destroyers there refers to diseases that have the power to terminate life. So Elihu is relating these things and saying, Job, these may not be caused by sin, but to prevent you from sinning. So Elihu then in verses 23 to 30 speaks of God's work on man's behalf. First of all, in verse 23, Job instruct, or excuse me, God instructed through the messengers to show what man, show man what is right. Verse 23. If there be a messenger, American Standard Version says an angel with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness. Various commentators have different ideas about these messengers. Some say an angelic meaning, a being, some say a prophet, some say a teacher, some say may have been a priest, but the meaning is that you would scarcely expect to find one in a thousand who had the knowledge of God's ways and was qualified to show God's righteousness to mankind. Well, Elihu says that then God would exercise mercy toward the fallen man. Verse 24, chapter 33. Then he is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Well, concerning the ransom, some say that the ransom refers to Christ. Others say it's the one being chastised has listened to God's warning from the messengers and has repented. Albert Barnes says this, and I quote, That is on the supposition that he hears and regards what the messenger of God communicates. If he rightly understands the reasons of the divine administration and acquiesces in it, and if he calls upon God in a proper manner, Job 33:26, he will show him mercy and spare him, unquote. And we'll look at Job 33:26 momentarily. Well, Elihu says the result of repentance would be the restoration of health. Verse 25. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. So the calamity brought upon the individual because of sin would be removed. In verse 26, Elihu states that then there would be a reestablishment of fellowship with God and a restoration of joy. Verse 26, he shall pray unto God and he will be favorable unto him and he shall see his face with joy for he will render unto man his righteousness. 
Albert Barr says this, and I quote, that is when he fully understands the design of affliction and when his mind is brought into a proper state of penitence for his past conduct, then he will find God merciful and ready to show him kindness, unquote. In verses 27 and 28, Elihu says the restored sinner will be thankful through acknowledging his sin and praising God for deliverance, verses 27 and 28. He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. In other words, he'll the restored one will confess his sin and be delivered from his calamity and he'll enjoy life again. Elihu then says that, Job, you are resisting your suffering and not looking for the good in it. Uh, God does everything, just as he has mentioned, to save men from death and live an enlightened life. That's verses 29 and 30. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man to bring back his soul from the pit to be enlightened with the light of the living. So God uses all these methods to warn people and reclaim them from their evil ways. Wayne Jackson stated on page 51 of his book, and so observed the contrast in theologies. Job's three friends contend that suffering was punishment for sin. While Elihu argues, argues that suffering may be disciplinary and so serve to prevent sin, unquote. And then Elihu encourages Job to listen carefully to what he's saying. Verses 31 to 33. He asks Job or pleads with Job to be patient. Hear what he has to say. Verse 31. Mark well, O Job, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I will speak. So I, I'm, in, I'm sincere in this attempt to help you, Job. In verse 32, Elihu asked Job if any objection, if he has any objection to what he said. If thou hast anything to say, answer me, speak, for I desire to justify thee. Adam Clark said this, and I quote, if thou hast any objection to make against what I've already stated, now answer, speak, now speak freely. For it is my desire that thou shouldest stand clear of all charges, unquote. Uh, Dave Miller stated, and I quote, Elihu wanted to justify Job instead of nailing him to the wall. He wants to show that his friends misrepresented him, unquote. And then Elihu told Job that if he had no objections, he would continue with his opinion. Verse 33, if not, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I shall teach thee wisdom. Adam Clark says this, and I quote, Then I will proceed. Listen carefully, keep silence, and I will teach thee what true wisdom is. Job was silent. None of his friends chose to intermeddle further. And the next chapter, Elihu addresses Job and them. So Elihu has a lot to say. But he's trying to be fair to Job and only state facts as he sees them. His statements are not arrogant or disrespectful to Job. Albert Barnes says this, and I quote, The views which he had expressed were evidently new to Job, and they were entirely at variance with those of his three friends, and they appear to have been received with all profound and respectful silence, unquote. 
So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also you can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram, and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoy this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.